I don't know what job she has, but I need to be a part of that or at least a client. Hey guys, welcome to the Life of an Average Joe podcast. I am your host, Brandon Navera, and I've been having some microphone issues. Uh, you know, I got a couple new microphones and I like them and they were working good, but uh, so far they're out of the three I have, only one seems to be doing what it's supposed to be doing right now. So I don't know if it's an issue with uh, my setup or, or what, you know, and this is, this is why I need my, my production guy here. And by the way, we don't have a production guy, but I have a guy who can help me with this and he's not available. So that sucks. So it's all on me now. You're just going to have to deal with it guys. Cause I don't want to fix it. I've got things to do today and, uh, numerous, numerous podcasts to, to do today. So um, anyway, I hope you guys have been great. It's been a long time. It feels like a long time, at least a few weeks since I've been on the Life of an Average Joe podcast. Um, I did want to tell you though, uh, that don't forget that we have changed when we are going to be releasing the podcast. The podcast will be out every Monday and that's not true either. <laughs> It'll be out on Mondays. So we used to drop them on Fridays. We're now dropping them on Mondays. So check this out. If you don't get a, if you can't get enough of me, which I understand why, you now have all these options. You have Monday, the life of an average Joe podcast. You have Tuesday trash talk with my partner in crime, Stuart Sachs, every Tuesday, 8 a.m. And then of course you've got toy cars on the nightstand my blog, which I just released another one entitled Sit and Relax, something I will be doing at some point today. Sit and Relax, you can read that at toycarsonthenightstand.com. Then we have a brand new segment that I like to call Catch a Buzz with Brandon. Every Friday at 8 a.m. you can catch a buzz with Brandon and it is a short two to three minute segment, maybe four tops about everything and anything that pops in my head right when I wake up in the morning. As I drink my cup of coffee and I pour that nice, dark, black richness of, of love into my cup, you can, you can watch that. And that's on YouTube, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and soon to be on Anchor. So check that out. And that's, but wait, there's more. We also have a new fun segment on social media um, all my social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, YouTube, all those called Luke and Dada's movie review. And that'll be out every week as well, where me and my son, my son and I review movies. So that's a lot of work. I know, but speaking of work, that's what this segment's about. That's what this, I should say episode is about. This episode is about working and jobs and money. Not so much money, but it does tie into my, my topic. Obviously, most of us, all of us have worked in our lives, are still working in our lives, are trying to work uh, during this you know, pandemic year, um, almost a full year, by the way, that this whole pandemic has started and doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So jobs, you know, as I sat there and I moved out of the service industry, 
you know, and, and, and granted, like I said, it was, it was a forced out situation because of COVID-19, but it was also something that needed to happen and something that needed to happen a long time ago. I just was slow and scared and didn't know what to do. Um, I still don't know if I know what to do, but because of COVID, I, you know, I, I moved out of the service industry and, you know, the best thing that's ever happened to me for sure. Um, but I'm out of it. And I was looking for other jobs. And of course, things were shut down. We were in that weird semi-quasi lockdown phase. Um, you know, so things were closed. People weren't hiring. And then, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm be, be up front with you guys. I was on unemployment for a while. So I was kind of taking a time out to kind of regroup. But I'm an antsy person. I keep myself busy, as, as you can tell. So I needed to find something, and I started to look. And when you're not looking at a job that you've done for 20-plus years and you're trying to do something different, it's hard, you know? It's just hard. And we talked about this on an episode of Trash Talk a couple months ago. You know, you're applying online because nobody's doing in-person anything these days, especially with covid and you're just, you're just hoping to stand out. And it got me thinking about all the non-service industry jobs that I had over the years. And that's what this episode is about. This episode's not about my life behind bars, the book coming out this year. Very excited about it. Um, it's not about restaurants. It's not about the service industry. It's about those weird, strange jobs I had. Because I look back and I'm like, man, I'm 42 years old. And I've had a lot of jobs, which might seem like I'm really not a good employee. And at times I was a crappy employee, that's for sure. But for the most part, I like to work um, or at least have that drive. And I look back and I remember, man, these jobs have, have taught me a lot, but they've been in some weird ones. And the first one that stands out that's non-service industry for me was, I was 14 years old, 14 or 15. I, was, I did not have my license. I know that for a fact. We lived not too far from an apple orchard. If you're from Michigan, you understand apples, okay? If you're not from Michigan, Michigan's known for really good apple orchards. Um, I'm hoping to go to one when I go back this summer and take Luke, I think he'll like it, minus all the bees. But, uh, it was called Irwin's Apple Orchard and Country Store. Yes, this guy, Brandon Avera, <laughs> worked at Irwin's Apple Orchard and Country Store. Now, it was owned by the Irwin family, and I'm not going to get into their history, but one side of the family owned the orchard, the other one owned the country store, and they both benefit, benefited from each other. And this was literally, if it was a mile from my house, that might be a stretch. You could walk there, and I did walk there at times uh, because I could cut through the field and I could walk down the street and go to the go to the um, to the apple orchard. Actually, I remember one time I had to I didn't want to walk on the street, so I went to the dead end of our subdivision, hopped the barbed wire fence because this guy had massive property, um, and I hopped the barbed wire fence and cut through the field to go to the apple orchard. It was probably a quicker way, but at the risk of getting shot at, uh, probably not the smartest thing I've ever done. Um, <clears throat> so I would go there. Now, I did not work in the apple orchard itself. 
I worked in the country store and I was hired seasonally because for a while there, the apple orchard, obviously apples have their season and they would shut down and the store would stay open through Christmas to sell all of its, you know, country nonsense, you know, some gifts and donuts and coffee, had a bakery and everything like that. And, and, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I was a stock guy basically. And I got hired <laughs> and they, they, they paid me, this is crazy, $4 an hour, which is still more than servers get nowadays, but $4 an hour, I got hired. Now you got to think, this is back in the nineties. I didn't have any bills. I didn't have a car. I mean, granted, I was going to get one eventually and get my license and, and, and attempt to have some responsibility in my life as I grew up. $4 an hour. I got paid every Tuesday. Now, I could only work so many hours with school and all that. I worked after school once or twice, but typically it was Saturdays and Sundays. And I could work on Fridays because I didn't have school. But they had all those, you know, child labor laws type things. And I had, they had to follow it. So I got hired. And I would stock. I would stock produce. I would stock milk. Uh, you know, any dairy um, goods, you know, whatever it may be, I'd stock. And we would, we would sell the apples from the orchard in the store and the cider that they made in the store too. So some people just wanted to grab a thing of cider, grab some donuts, grab a bushel of apples or a box, you know, whatever, a box, half bushel, whatever. They'd come in, bag, they'd come in and buy them there. You could pick up, you know, you guys have been to country stores, those little, you know, you've been traveling and you went to a little local market or a local general store and you know the type of stuff they had, candy and crafts and whatever. Um, Beanie Babies, which was the Beanie Baby craze. That's when this happened and we were like a Beanie Baby headquarters. I remember people would line up to see what the new Beanie Babies we got. It was insane. But that's what I did. And then I started to learn some other stuff, you know. That's where I learned how to do the electric pallet jack. I know it's not a really complicated procedure, but that's where I learned to do it. And I would learn how to, you know, break down the pallets and stack them properly and, and all that stuff. And I was really good, you know. Now, the owners at the time, one was very nice. The, the woman was very sweet, very nice. The man, big dude, six foot, whatever, big dude. Um, he actually looked like the, the the actor that was in Jurassic Park, who got who got spat on by the dinosaur. Picture that guy, but bigger, with glasses and facial hair. That's who he looked like. I don't know that guy's name, but anyway, um, he was a little rough, but we we bonded. We actually kind of became good together, you know. Um, and he put a lot of faith in me and then he taught me on the register and I was like one of the leads there and it was cool it was great um, because it was a learning experience and they had an ice cream little thing in the back and you had to scoop ice cream and then they would also have a haunted house the orchard would put on a haunted house and I got paid to be in the haunted house I got paid $20 an hour cash I do that now um, to be in the haunted house. 
And they would do the makeup. We had a really good makeup artist. And it was a great haunted house because you had the hayride and it took you to the house. It was phenomenal. I was everything from, I was a creepy clown one year. I was a, a, a butchered worker. Like I had an Irwin short, shirt on and I had like blood coming out of my head. And I was all kinds of stuff. And, and I would work at the apple orchard at the store on a Friday. I'd get off at like five or six and then I'd have to go over there and get my makeup on and do that Friday and Saturday because they would only have the, um, for a while there, they only had the haunted houses on Friday and Saturday. And I'd go do that and get paid and then we hang out afterwards. And then they did it on Thursdays. So I would do it on Thursdays too. Um, and as I got older, that would be, you know, whatever. Now, the thing about being seasonal is when the season's over, you get let go. So when the apple season ended, which typically was in November, it was like, oh, I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to be done. And they would bring people back the next year, but I got asked to stay. So I stayed. Now that was only another month. It would be like right after Christmas, you were done. But they gave me bonuses and good money. I got a $400 bonus from them at 14 years old, 15 years old. I worked at this job for about three years, maybe more. Now, as I got older and became more of a jerk, my priorities shifted. The work ethic was there, but I was more about having fun. So I lost sight of, of, of work and, and, and whatever. But by this point, that store was now open year-round, and I was one of the employees there. And I made good money. But we had a falling out. They had a falling out with the family. Um, things were starting to look rough. I never, I didn't get fired, but I, but I quit. I saw them years later and everything was fine. They since sold that country store and it's now a CVS. And then the, the apple orchard sold half of the apple orchard. They used to have cherries there too. Sold half the apple orchard. They quit doing the haunted house. And now there's like a subdivision and then the orchard is small. So I think eventually it's going to be gone, which is really sad to me, but that made me a ton of money. And that really taught me things that taught me a lot of stuff. You know, after the apple orchard though, I look back and I don't know the order that I worked at these jobs. Um, I was at Blockbuster Video. My buddy Ken and I, this is, this is a sore subject actually, but we'll just... <laughs> We'll talk about the positive side. I will not get into the negative side right now. Um, but I was at Blockbuster Video. And that was back when they were booming. I mean, this was VHS rentals. They still had 80% of the VHS rentals and they were converting over to DVDs. And I was, you know, I was going to be a manager there. Technically I was, but... Um, and I just came in and actually, I, did they, I did get the raise. So yeah, they, I did become a manager there. And the great thing about this Blockbuster was it was one of the busiest Blockbusters in the state of Michigan. And there was a lot of them at the time. This was even before they started to do the uh, DVD by mail thing. They had just gotten into that. And they weren't sure if it was going to take off or not. And then obviously they went out of business. But... The cool thing was we, I was watching the entertainment revolution happen. I was watching, I should say evolution. DVDs were becoming more and more popular. 
VHS tapes were dwindling. We would get the DVDs and VHS tapes. We would get them in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We were allowed to take them home to watch before the public could watch them on a Friday. So there'd be times we'd get these movies coming out and I'd be like, oh man, this new, and I can't even think about Terminator 2, I don't know. I can't even think about what movies came out at the time. Seven just came to DVD or just came on VHS on a Wednesday night. I'm just checking it out. But you had to bring it back. If I brought it on a Wednesday, you had to bring it back on Thursday. Now, if you got it on a Thursday, you had to bring it back Friday morning by 10 a.m. You had to because those movies were going to be out. So we got to watch all of these movies before they ever hit the big, you know, the big, not big screen, but the main floor. So if you didn't catch it in a movie theater, now mind you, again, this was back in the day when those movies went to the movie theater and they left the movie theater. It took them a long time to get in your hands at your house. They didn't just push them out on streaming because there wasn't streaming. They didn't just push them out on DVDs because DVDs were new. And they didn't push them out of VHS. It could be months before they came out. So when we got them, if you missed it in the theater, you were like, oh my God, I could finally see it. And again, this was back in the day when going to the movies was still a big deal. Not just, I'm going to go drop it you know, every Friday or, or whatever. It was a big deal. It was, it was an event. So a lot of times I missed movies for, you know, because I didn't have time to see them. I didn't have money. So being able to rent that movie right when it came out that I'd been waiting to see was huge. It was such a big deal. And I got to do that a lot. On top of that, this was DVDs. Now DVDs were expensive to buy, $29, $25, $18. They were expensive to buy because again, this was back in the 90s. And not a lot of DVDs went to sale right away. So you would have movies that would come out to DVD to rent, but then the sale of that DVD wouldn't be for another two months. And who could buy $25 DVD at the time? When you work for Blockbuster, 50% off of everything, even if it was on sale. So as DVDs started to come in, Blockbuster would go through and do like a, a purge on their VHS and they would mark those used VHS tapes down to like nine bucks. Well, then you take my 50% off and you got 450 for a movie. I can't tell you how many movies I had. I literally had probably 500 VHS tapes, maybe more. And then my DVD collection, I just, I mean, bought them, bought them, bought them. And then they would dump them. They would have a box and say, hey, you can take this. And we'd go through and grab them, you know, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, you know, Scarface. I had those. And some of those longer movies like Scarface were two DVDs, Titanic, two DVDs, or um, two VHS tapes. You'd watch part one and then you have to put in the other tape. And I mean, Ken and I both worked there and we were such movie nerds, as I'm, I'm sure you heard from the podcast we did on Halloween. Um, we loved it. It, it, you know, it was busy, but it was fun. And the other cool thing was we got a lot of merchandise. You could get the, the, the official movie posters. We would get movie posters, cutouts, standouts, uh, bags, hats, swag. I mean, it was like, it was kind of like working in the bar industry except for movies. Because every time I came home, I had swag. 
oh, look, I just got this new poster. I just got this giant Steven Seagal cutout that I'm going to put in my bedroom because why not? Who doesn't want a, you know, karate master with a ponytail staring at you while you sleep at night? And I would, I would get them and I'd give them as, as gifts and, and all that. And, and then again, I, I left Blockbuster and that's an ugly story that maybe one day I'll tell you about. Um, but, uh, then they went out of business, um, Actually, that was one of the last standing stores in the area. They focused on streaming. They went out of business. And everybody thought that Blockbuster was going to buy Netflix. It was a little-known fact. Or If you don't remember this anyway, here's something for you, a little tidbit. Netflix had started after Blockbuster. And everybody thought it was going to be a joke, because it was. Um, they had a better online format. You could adjust your queue. So you had all these movies. It was kind of like the watch, the watch list on Netflix now, but it was for DVDs. And they would just send you, you could sign up for different programs, one DVD a month or two DVDs a month or three DVDs, whatever, unlimited DVDs. And you could sign up for those different platforms, similar to what they have now, or different uh, programs or memberships, I should say. And you could get the DVDs. The cool thing with the DVDs were, let's say I wanted to watch, uh, you know, at the time I wanted to watch Seven. I've just been really obsessed with that movie lately. So I, it was number five in my queue. I could move it up to number one and they'd ship it out. Same thing with Blockbuster. They'd ship it out. Well, then if I changed my mind and I didn't want to watch Superman next, but I wanted to watch Wayne's World, I'd just move it and they'd ship it out. Well, you could keep them forever. I mean, not forever, but you keep them for a long time. They didn't have a return date on them. Blockbuster didn't have a return date on them either, except for certain movies, and I believe it was five days, maybe seven. But Netflix, if you needed, lo- if you or Blockbuster, if you needed longer, you just told them. But the cool thing about Blockbuster is, instead of you could throw it in the mailbox and and they'd ship it back, you could take it to any Blockbuster. So I get a DVD in the mail. You know, drop it off at Blockbuster because I worked there. They'd scan it, and the, when they scanned it, the next DVD would come in the mail. And then when I didn't work there anymore, it was perfect. Now, the reason I got that program when we when I worked there is because it was brand new, and we got it for like next to nothing. I think we had a free three month membership, so I was like, whatever. So I had movies all the time. Well, when Netflix came out. We checked it out and it was crap. It was, the, the website sucked, the process sucked, and everybody thought it was gonna disappear. And at one point, Blockbuster was going to buy Netflix. And Blockbuster used to have kiosks, by the way, like Redbox, just thought I'd tell you that. They were gonna buy Netflix. Netflix turned around once Blockbuster went out of business and filed for bankruptcy. Netflix turned around and bought Blockbuster. All the, I mean, the streaming part and all their movies and everything. And then, of course, now look at the monster that Netflix is. But ultimately, I think Blockbuster did it to themselves. They killed themselves. They, they, they were, it was a good idea, but they killed themselves. So, but working there, I got to see all that. I got to be part of that. And I thought that was really cool. You know, especially at, at my age. And I, at the time, I was living on my own. So, you know, me and my girlfriends would, you know, would watch the movies or I'd have people over and we'd watch movies. Ken and I would, you know, we like similar movies, but we have different, you know, different favorites and stuff. So he might get one or, 
or we would watch like a series and I'd be like, oh, I just got the next two. Which one did you get? And, and, and you know, we'd go watch them all together. And it was really cool. A lot of perks with Blockbuster. But again, that was a management lesson and a management learning experience. So I started to kind of see that side of the service industry away from the restaurants and bars. Another job I worked at, which is funny and this is something you guys probably didn't know or care to know, I worked for a lawn care company and pest control company called Eradico. And they were based in Farmington Hills, which is not too far from my parents' house or where I was living at the time, um, just down the street. <clears throat> and the guy went to a church, uh, our church. I don't even know. I think Ken told me about the job. You'll, you'll notice a theme here. Um, and so Ken and I applied. And I had never worked for a lawn care company before. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. But I wanted to work for him because I needed a job. And it was a good paying job. And I think this was right after Blockbuster, if I'm not mistaken. So we applied. We got the job. And we were lawn techs. We were the guys going out there spraying fertilizer, weed control, pest control. That's who we were. We drove the big trucks that either had the dry fur because you could, you could, if you bought fertilizer, you bought a program through us, application through us, you could pick and choose if you wanted dry or liquid. And there are pros and cons to each. And of course, things have changed now. I mean, this was years ago. But we would drive those big tanker trucks with the liquid. We would drive with the spreaders around. Ken and I worked together a couple times. Sometimes I'd be by myself. Uh, I worked with my buddy Ellis. Love that dude. And that's what we did. And we would get there, you know, at six in the morning, seven in the morning. You'd be out the door by 7.30. I mean, that might even be late. And you'd have your route. And you'd have 20, 30, 40 stops on your route. Uh, I remember there was this one subdivision that literally, it was in Troy, Michigan. Um, I think they gave me like 50 stops in the subdivision, but the lawns were so small, you could literally park the truck and knock out five or 10 of them and then turn around and come back and then get in the truck and go knock out the rest. And I learned a lot. I mean, I learned about lawns. I learned about trees and what to look for and different grasses and why, you know, this Kentucky bluegrass won't work here, but it'll work over here and why this guy had grass shipped up from Florida and it's dying and, you know, and then the different insects. I mean, I learned everything. Trees, what to look out for. And I, I, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I got a great tan and a workout, sweated my butt off, but um, the money was good. We got paid, I think we got paid bi-weekly. That was the first time I experienced a bi-weekly paycheck. Because even at Blockbuster, I got weekly paychecks, which was crazy. Um, but we made good money. After a while, I got offered a sales position and I took it because I'd rather be in sales than out there humping around on the grass. That sounds dirty. Um, maybe humping around on the grass would have kept me the job in the first place. But anyway, um, so I, you know, I, I took the sales position and I learned that aspect of sales and I was cold calling people. Could you imagine you're in Michigan? Picture this, guys. You're in Michigan in January and you're calling somebody about their lawn. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's, there's six inches, seven inches, there's two feet of, uh, of snow on the ground. It's 22 degrees. It's January. 
and you want to talk about lawn for the springtime, which could be five months from now, who knows? It was rough. And we would just go through, we'd renew people. You know, we, we, we'd start off, look at everybody. We had territories. Um, it's exa- old school. I mean, they had a map of our area and we had our little circles with our names on them. And then there was open territories as well. And there was just four of us at the time, four sales reps, I'll remember. Uh, Daniel, Travis, Bruno. Yes, this guy's name was Bruno. Weird dude, man. Um, and myself. And we were in this little office, working until 8 o'clock at night. You know, getting in at 8 in the morning, working until 8 o'clock at night, 9 in the morning. If you had a sales call, you could always push that back. If you had a sales meeting, you could say, oh, I, got, I got to stop off at this, this house and look at this property and give it an estimate. And you could roll in at like 10 o'clock. We had a lot of freedom, uh, which is dangerous. We also got a $400 car allowance. Um, and we got little gift cards to buy lunch on and things like that. But we had a cold call. And then once we were done calling our clients, seeing if they were going to renew, if we could upsell them on something... We had to go to the phone book and just pick streets and start dialing. And it sucked. I can't tell you how many times I got hung up on. I can't tell you how many times I got cursed out. But I also, and this may have been a different time, can't tell you how many sales I made over the phone between January and February of programs. Now, we did our research. We got... We would find out, you know, who they had, who was in the area. We would try to cut some deals. Sometimes you just couldn't undercut them. So you had to sell them on service. And you'd have a guy say, hey, man, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a break. You know, I'm going to try one of you guys, uh, you know, try two or three applications, see if my lawn's improved. And if you can do it, I'll sign up with the rest. If not, screw you. So I get that commission. We get those commission checks once a month. And we had goals and all that, like everybody. But then when it came to springtime, I'd have to go check out those properties. Commercial properties were nice. They didn't let me do commercial right away. They wanted me to focus on residential, which was fine because, you know, I'd bang out four or five residential clients and then it would easily be the same as one commercial client, if not more. Plus, God forbid, when grub season came around, which, by the way, my parents have grubs, and I found it in Michigan when I went there in December. So, just saying. Um, When grub season came around, if one lawn had it, chances are it was going to spread. I would literally stop by and drive up and down neighborhoods that I had customers in and clients in just to check on their lawn, leave some notes for them, put it on their door. Sometimes I'd see them. Sometimes I wouldn't. And if I saw a grub, like some of my clients would call me, hey, I think I think I got grubs. So I'd go check it out. Sure enough, they had grubs. Boom, application. If it was bad, you got to give them more than one application. If their neighbors in some of these small neighborhoods in Detroit and Troy and these older neighborhoods, they would literally be bucked up um, next to each other. I mean, right on. I mean, like like yards, but I mean, so close that if you had grubs in your yard, chances are your neighbors might too. Even if their neighbors didn't have grubs in their yard, 
I try to get them on a preventative treatment. So I would pull my neighbors, or not my neighbors, my clients, you know, lawn, you could peel it back. If there's grubs, it's, it literally, it peels back like carpet. And I pull a couple grubs, I put it in a bag, put, staple my card on the bag or paper clip it and be like, this is in your neighbor's lawn. This could be in your lawn next. Do you want a preventative treatment? Nine times out of 10, when they saw those grubs swimming around in that bag, or not swimming, moving around in that bag, I'd get the preventative treatment and I'd get their lawn service because nobody wants these nasty, sluggish-looking maggot creatures in their yard. And then they would look at their neighbor's yard and be like, oh my God, our neighbor's yard looks like the Sahara Desert because of these bugs. We can't have that. So it just started a chain reaction. I'd go three or four houses and say, dude, all your neighbors are getting a preventative treatment. Do you want to push these grubs all the way to you? And they would be like, you're telling me that the grubs from five houses down are going to come to my house if I don't get this preventative treatment? And I'd look at them and be like, it's possible. They run out of food. They're going to find it somewhere. And I would just sell a whole street on preventative and make a ton of money. Call it a day. Go hit my sales goal. Go home. I was on salary anyway. Got a decent salary, $400 monthly check, stipend for my car, bonuses, commission, deuces, I'm out. And I rocked it for a long time. And then in the wintertime, we became part of Christmas Decor. This was one of the first companies in Michigan that was a real legitimate company, not Jimbo's Christmas lights, to put up Christmas lights professionally. And they went down to Lubbock, Texas, because that's where this headquarters was, in Lubbock, Texas, called Christmas Decor, and they got trained, and we became the official Christmas Decor, whatever you want to call us, um, distributor in our area. And we cold call, hey, while I'm out here looking at your lawn, it was like Christmas decorations. And what we would do, just like they have now, we would sketch out their house and measure how many Christmas lights, what our basic package was. You could buy them or rent them. If you bought them, we would package them up nicely, do the install, do the takedown, package them up nicely, put them away and store it for you. If, and then you call us and we come back next, you know, next year. If you bought, if you rented them, then you just rented them for the season and you'd have to call again. And, you know, we'd, we'd be, it'd be like, okay, this is 15 cents a light. This is, And I would be out late at night, man. I'd be out at like 8.30 at night trying to sell Christmas lights in the snow. But the commission off it was fat. To give you an idea, if I sold a, a small Christmas package, okay, a couple bushes, little walkway lights, blah, 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 things like that, that might cost them about $300, I would make $55 off that, maybe 60. 60 bucks, no big deal. Boom, in my pocket. I had the fattest commission checks from Christmas decor that I've ever had doing lawn care. My biggest commission check, now remember, this was back in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, early 2000s. My biggest commission check that I ever had selling stupid Christmas lights was $1,800. 
Matt, what do you do when you're a kid with $1,800? You blow it. <laughs> do stupid stuff. I could kick myself in the butt right now for that. But I, I was at Eratico for a little over two years while I was working in, at the Southline Hotel, you know, the bar. Again, um, which was probably my downfall because I knew that was my kryptonite. And I knew I couldn't get away from the bars, and, and, and I left Erratico. Uh, Ken worked there for me, or with me as well. We both got hired on the same day, and he was a, a, a tech, a long tech, too. Um, and he, he would do the installs on Christmas lights, too. I think he quit and got a different job. I don't remember. I'd have to ask him. Um, but I don't think uh, Erratico's here anymore. It got bought out um, by a group in Florida. And then I think, uh, I don't even know if they're even around anymore. But needless to say, my entire family had Eradical Lawn Care, uh, Eradical Lawn Care uh, at the time because, look, when you're new in sales, you go to your resources. You go to your friends, family, business partners, whatever you can do to make that quota before you get your, you know, until you get your feet wet and you get out there and do the right thing. So that's what I did. But um, yeah, Eradical was cool. It was, it was a good learning experience. Um, I quit. And I went back to the, to the bars full time. Again, that's the story of my life, though. <laughs> Going back to the bars, you know, full time. Uh, where else did I work? I worked at some crazy places. You know, I had a job. <laughs> this, is a, this is a crappy job, man. Um, I had a job. It was supposed to be marketing, right? Sales. You've seen these guys at the gas stations. I don't know if they have them anymore. And they're selling stuff. And it's a legitimate company. They're not, that's not stolen goods. But this was like a shine for your tires in your car. You spray it on your car and you clean it. You sell so many cases, you get a bonus. You sell so many cases beyond that, you get this bonus and, and whatever. And you had a goal and you had to sell it. And I would go to these different gas stations. We'd get permission from the people at the gas stations to stand outside and sell and give examples. Hey, look, and the stuff did work. I don't know what it was called. We got paid like $9 an hour plus the commission. The commission was fat. But you're literally hawking goods out there. I might as well have popped open my trunk and sold cheap Rolexes. By cheap, I mean fake. Because you're out there at a gas station four or five hours trying to sell stuff to people while they're pumping gas. Hey man, you know, that car looks really dirty. Can, do you mind? This won't ruin your paint. This won't, this won't do this. Can I spray it on there and show you what it does? And I would do it. Some people would be like, man, get away. Don't touch my car. They'd have a piece of crap car, you know, some Honda Civic like with rust on it. And they're like, get away from my car. I don't want you to damage it. I'm like, bro, my foot could go through your door. But it was pretty amazing stuff. You literally sprayed it on there. And it would eat away the crap and you wipe it off with a microfiber towel and it, it was shiny. Now you couldn't do your whole car like this and that was their thing. They were trying to get these people to buy a case so they could do the whole car. I can tell you right now, at the time I drove a neon, a Dodge neon stick shift purple and I couldn't do my whole car with one of these. But if you wanted to spot do it, it was really shiny and it was better than a car wash. But it was just a gimmick because nobody's going to sit out there in their driveway 
pounding out cans of this crap. I don't even know how I found this job. And I remember my guy, who was my boss, my captain, talking about, man, if you know, when you become a captain, you'll get this amount of money. And it was like a pyramid scheme, but it wasn't a scheme. It was just this stupid pyramid marketing thing that, that yeah, you could make money, but it, you know, they had an office, okay? And they were all across the country. NASCAR approved this product. Well, of course they approved this product because the guys who started it worked for NASCAR. But they had this little office. There was nothing in this office but a dry erase board and a bathroom. That was it. Oh, yeah, we're moving, you know. We're in the process of moving. Uh, We're going to have this big office. It was a joke. And I did that for a while. I made okay money, you know. And one day I made like 150 bucks. Then one day I made like 20. Then one day, and I got paid hourly. But it was every two weeks or whatever. Well, then one day I went to this place, the office, and it wasn't there anymore. Guys outside in his car saw me pull up and said, oh man, they moved us. We're not in this location anymore. Here's your final paycheck. I'll let, I'll let you know where we land. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Well, I had a case of that stuff in my car, so I was happy. But he told me about this other gig. Hey man, I'm, I'm getting ready to go uh, do this phone book thing. We deliver phone books. I'm like, what? Yeah, you, fill, you, you do your pickup and they give you a territory. You get a dollar or 25 cents a phone book or something like that. And you just go drop them off. So I followed him down. It was in Detroit. I followed him down to this place. And sure enough, I signed up. They said, here you go. Here's your first load. I put 150 phone books in my Dodge Neon. No, actually, I didn't have a Dodge Neon at the time. I had a Taurus. No, I had just gotten the Taurus. Four Taurus, white. Um, 150 books in the Ford Taurus. And I started delivering phone books. I filled out the paperwork, went that day, started delivering phone books. Boom, and I, I think it was 25 cents. It might have been 50 cents a phone book. And then they paid you, uh, I think like $25 for gas. And I, I, the hourly wasn't great, but I, I get paid every day. As soon as I came in, I gave them my checklist. No, it was within 24 hours. And they would direct deposit this money on this little card. And this little card could be used like a gift card um, or an ATM card. And you could go to an ATM to pull your money out so that you could go to the bank and deposit it because they didn't have transfer stuff back then. And I did that for like two weeks. And then one day, I, got a, or I went to go pick up my load. And they said, we're all done. We'll let you know when we come back. And that was it. It was all these little random pointless jobs that I was just doing and making money to get by. I worked at a warehouse in Detroit, Southwest Detroit, Delray. My family had it. I worked there for a long time, it felt like. (laughs) And this warehouse, mind you, is a dump. I don't even think it's there anymore. Maybe it is. It was a dump. There's nothing nice. This is not a nice Amazon warehouse, okay? This is when it snows outside, it was snowing in the building. Rats, cats. I mean, there was one room where all I smelled was cat piss. I didn't even go in there. It was like 
There were so many cats that would come in and out, but yet we had rats all the time. Now, we had dead rats, so that was cool. On top of that, though, it was in southwest Detroit. One of the worst parts of Detroit. Crack house across the street. Drive-by shootings, fire down the street. I mean, you were in that warehouse and you felt safe, maybe, because you were locked in, you couldn't see the outside, but we'd leave at night sometimes, pitch black, and you leave on a Friday night and you just see the crack, the, the, the drug dealers just sitting across the street on the step. Now, the cool thing was about the drug dealers was that they didn't want any problems. They didn't want any problems in your neighborhood at all because that drew the police and it would inter, you know, interfere with their business. So when we would get broken into which would happen, people break in thinking we have something good and all we had was Xerox paper and cartridges, not really a lot of stuff. Anything that was major, major stuff, so to speak, we, just, we would lock it up. But mostly it was, we made pallets for Coca-Cola and we had Xerox. We were the distribution center for Xerox in the state of Michigan and Northern Ohio. So if you ordered paper in Michigan, it came through us. And if you ordered ink, it came through us. So I drove a high-low and stocked and was a dispatch for the drivers. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot through there. It was, it was a very, it wasn't an easy job. It was fun. I got paid decent. Uh, there were bonuses, you know, when we were doing good. But the learning experience of it was more than anything um, at the time. Of course, at the time, you don't realize that. You, you realize that later in life. But... We'd have people break, in, break into the warehouse to try to steal the copper off the pipes. Anything they could sell. Chances are they were just crackheads or meth heads or whatever. They'd tag our building, you know. But if any of that happened, you know, you call the cops. They didn't want the cops down there. Drug dealers didn't want the cops down there. So they didn't, they watched the neighborhood for you. The drug dealers were the least of our problems. It was the crackheads you had to worry about. So they would try to keep the crackheads at bay so we could do our job. I didn't have a problem with it. Now you might have a, you might have a problem with the, the drive-bys, you know, bullets don't care. But then of course they burned down the, uh, the crack house, so that didn't matter anymore. But I worked there for a long time. I mean, it was cold. I'd have, I'd have you know, full-on Carhartt, overalls on, beanie, and I don't get cold, okay? But you're in a you're in a warehouse. It's not heated. The cement, the cold cement, busted windows, snowing inside. I remember driving the high low one time, and I hit a patch of ice on the inside of my warehouse, and I skid. I skid right off. I slid. Almost hit one of the racks. A pallets of paper would have fell, crushed crushed me, crushed the high low. All that crap. I mean, it had a cage on it, but. Who wants, you know, 50-pound boxes of paper falling from you? An entire pallet. I think there's like 24 boxes on a pallet crashing down on you because you slid on ice in a warehouse. I remember one day, too, we went to work, and I saw water creeping out the front door. And I was like, that's weird. And I opened the door, and there was water in the lobby, the vestibule. I was like, yeah, that's weird. Then I opened the door to the office and there was like three, four inches of water all on the floor. And I'm like, what? And then it got 
as I got into the office, it came up to my ankles. I saw like, you know, files floating and I'm like, what the hell is going on around here? I went out into the warehouse. The entire warehouse was flooded. I saw dead rats floating. I saw pallets of paper floating. I, I mean, flooded and I hear this gushing. So I walk down to um, the loading dock. The fire line had busted open and the water was just gushing, gushing, gushing. It had filled the loading dock, which was inside on a slant. So as the water filled, the drains were just clogged up. They couldn't keep up. And the water, I mean, I couldn't walk in there because it would have been up to my waist or, or it could have been over my head. And the water was just everywhere. And this was in the middle of winter. At that point, I realized I just want to go and leave. But there was water coming through the walls. It, I mean, seriously, I saw a cat sitting on a pallet floating by. A cat, because he was afraid to get in the water. Mind you, that was just after I saw the, 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 the dead rats go flying. I was like, oh, great. Here's some, here's some you know, COVID-1997 we didn't know about. <laughs> but yeah, I worked at that warehouse for a long time. And then eventually Xerox pulled the account. The warehouse shut down. I, I don't know what happened after that. And I was gone. But um, it's just interesting to look back at the, the choices you make in jobs. What you've learned from jobs. What you haven't learned from jobs. And where you end up. You know, some people have that clear path of where they go in life. What they do, what they want to do. And they sit, sit at that job, you know. My dad's had a lot of jobs. But he's pretty much been in this industry that he's in for as long as I can remember. Working his way up the company, ready to retire soon. Um, and there's a lot of people that do that. I was not that guy. And, I, and I, I don't regret making the choices I made. Some of them, you know, making choices how I quit a job or got fired um, back in the day. That sucks. But I don't regret sticking around in the service industry as long as I did. And I'm not going to talk too much about the service industry because I want you to read the book when it comes out. But I, I think had I done something different, you know, had I, had I just maybe not gone into the service industry and stayed at one of these jobs, who knows where I'd be now. That being said, I'm here for a reason. And Luke might not be here if I didn't take the road I took. I know that for a fact. So knowing that Luke was the, the end game, the prize, then I did the right decision. I made the right choice. So, And now here I am working somewhere I never thought I'd work. So it's, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, I'd love to hear from you guys and, and what you do on your jobs and where you, where you work and, and comments and some of the fun things that you've been through. Uh, in this crazy life of work. I've got others, but that's it. That's the end of my time for today. And I went longer than I wanted to go. So sorry about that. But uh, thanks for joining us, uh, myself, I should say, in the life of an Average Joe podcast crew, which is me, since nobody else is here fixing my microphone issues. And um, I appreciate you guys listening. Don't forget to share, like, comment, follow, uh, all those things uh, help me out greatly. 
And don't forget to check out the other shows. And I will be back uh, probably next week uh, with a new podcast that I'm very excited to talk about. So have a great Sunday. Enjoy yourself. I'll see you guys soon.